This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of the Socialism 2022 program. You can hear more recorded sessions from the conference by subscribing to the Socialism Conference podcast feed. Many video recordings are also available at socialismconference.org. If you enjoy these recordings, keep an eye on socialismconference.org for updates about the next Socialism Conference and how you can participate. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, rate and review the podcast on Apple or whatever platform you're listening on. Good afternoon. Um, I'm here to talk about socialism in the uh, workplace. I've been in the labor movement for half my life. I've been in a union member for about nine years now. Um, and I've made quite a few mistakes uh, that I want to share with you um, so that you don't do them uh, when you go back to work and you talk about socialism in the workplace. Um, so first mistake that I made kind of early on when I became a teacher and became a union member was um, I was like, okay, let me maybe save this socialism stuff for later. Right? So thinking of your role as a socialist um, um, and spreading socialist ideas in this kind of like linear way, right? Like first, like I, you know, I, I, I get to know my coworkers and then we talk about like whatever. And then, you know, then I can boom, drop the bombshell. Like, hey, socialism, like, check this shit out. And that's not, that's not really how I think you should be doing it. Um, there have been extreme examples in history um, you know, where that's actually um, alienated uh, people. So, you know, not, not to give you a history lesson here, I don't teach history, I teach biology, um, but, you know, the, the Communist Party did this in the late 30s. Uh, this is a very crude history, but they basically, you know, kept their communism a secret, and then, you know, that really... Um, you know, allowed like anti-communists to then like call out individual people and be like, aha, see, they've been a communist this whole time. And it's like, what? Like you're a cop, you know, when if you sort of been upfront about that in the beginning, like it wouldn't really have made that much of an impact, you know? Um, anyway, so don't save it till later. I mean, you're inevitably going to, you know, get into conversations with your coworkers about stuff, about politics. Like, you know, when you're saving it till later, you're basically like actively hiding like your, your, your politics. And uh, that's, um, that's not what you should be doing as a socialist. Um, but the other extreme, I think, is also not right. And that's just kind of, kind of you know, coming in, like first day in the job, like, hey, like we gotta smash the state. And, you know, I mean, yes, we can do that. And like, you can actually do that on the first day if you want to, but you gotta, you know, be attuned with people. You know what I mean? Like the majority of your coworkers probably won't be receptive to that, like right away. Um, they don't even know who you are. You know, this is your first day on the job. It's your first week, your first month or whatever. Um, so, you know, uh, this is connected to my third mistake, you know, that I've made is like using jargon, like right away. like. You know, um, you know the well. You know, like the, the class contradictions, and you know, again, all that stuff is important. And I'm not saying we shouldn't use that language, um, but you know, again, be attuned with people. Like I think being a socialist in the workplace is a lot about you know attunement, like 
having the skill to kind of read where your coworkers uh, are at and kind of adapting your approach um, to, to, that, to that extent, you know? And I think maybe the last mistake, not the last, there have been many mistakes I've made, but I think one of them is also just like not really creating room to listen, right? Not creating, not, not creating conditions for dialogue. You know, we're not a socialist like telling people like what to do. We're um, meeting people where they're at and we're taking their life experiences and we're trying to like help them kind of make sense of that and provide some kind of mental roadmap um, that again helps them, make, helps them make sense of the world and how they can intervene in it in order to change it. Um, I don't really buy the whole you know, 80%, like organizing is like 80% listening. Have you heard that before? Like it's 80% listening. I don't, I don't really buy that. <laughs> There's, there are times where we're gonna need to, to talk a lot and then there are times where we're not gonna really need to talk as much, but that's, that's something that you, um, you, you know, that's something, you, again, you have to kind of just read the, the room at, at that moment, you know what I'm saying? Um, so anyway, um, so don't make those mistakes and let me continue by just giving you, um, you know, a few more kind of reasons as to why you should actually talk about socialism at the workplace. So just taking a step back here, like you are a socialist. You have all these great ideas. You have embarked on this really righteous, um, you know, journey, right? And this effort, this, this movement to end oppression and exploitation. Like, that's a really big deal. And you're in a community of people here uh, in, in the States, worldwide. You're in a community with you know, our predecessors who have fought to, um, you know, to make the world a better place. Like, that's awesome. Like, but those ideas are not automatic. The majority of people aren't there. You know, socialism isn't something that spontaneously you know, uh, appears. You know, otherwise, we wouldn't need this conference. You know, we wouldn't need to be, you know, organizing and strategizing. It would just happen. But that's not the case. Um, socialism is not automatic. Um, capitalism itself is a system that, sure, pushes workers together. You know, we're not like an isolated kind of, you know, farm with lots of land and things like that. Like, we've been thrown and concentrated into... Um, you know, spaces where we have to produce and, you know, we build we, we get to know people in that process and stuff. Um, but capitalism also has its pulls, right? So we, you know, we have no other way to meet our needs but by, you know, selling our ability to work and getting a wage that then access the things that we can only access through the market, the things that we need to survive, right? And so we'll inevitably be in this competition with other uh, uh, workers for jobs, for example. Um, so anyway, that's just to all say that this this capitalism thing, is, I'm sorry, this socialism thing is not going to be automatic, and so our intervention is crucial. Um, Marx did say, you know, I have to throw a Marx quote in here because it's the socialism conference, and there'll be some London later. Um, you know, Marx did say that capitalism generates its own grave diggers. Have you heard that before? Yes, absolutely it does. But you know whether we actually like pick up the shovel and start digging and throw the corpses of capital like into the ditch, you know that itself is not inevitable. And Marx didn't think so either. You know, uh, he just meant that capitalism creates the circumstances in which you know it can end itself. You know, either through rescue by the working class, you know, to rescue humanity, not 
Catholics rushing humanity, um, or through you know barbarism, right? Um, and we're seeing that with climate change. So uh, anyway, um, you know, our intervention is kind of crucial to 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 make sure that the end of capitalism. Um, is, it signals a, um, you know, its replacement with socialism, not the end of, of humanity. Um, anyway, so socialism is not, socialist ideas are not uh, inevitable. Um, you know, Lenin, you know, basically uh, says as much, you know, he laments that, hey, like if you were to take like the revolutionary party and dissolve it into the, into the masses, um, then, you know, that, that party would just be, and those socialists would just be tailing the working class. And we don't want to tail the working class right now. Um, it, you know, we can't romanticize it. Like, there's, there are tensions, there's racism, there's sexism, there's, you know, we, we got to, like, confront that, you know, in our class. Um, and it's through that process of, like, actually, like, fighting together um, do we prepare ourselves to, to rule, uh, you know, as a class, um, you know, by shedding all that muck of ages, as Marx said, you know, all the, all the oppression, uh, oppressive ideas. Um, okay, so I'm going to actually need like 15. Right? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, instead of the 10. Um, okay, so another, so a reason why you should be the one to talk to your coworkers about socialism is, well, who else are they going to hear it from? <laughs> I mean, who else, you know? Uh, sure, you know, maybe on social media, maybe, you know, uh, maybe on TV, I don't know, maybe someone who's canvassing or something like that, probably not, but whatever, you know? Um, but that doesn't substitute for you. You, a person, you know, with a pulse, with a heart, uh, with, you know, maybe history with that person, an actual human being, they know you. You know, they probably know, they, I mean, you're, you're with them so much, we're so overworked, you know, they probably spend more time with you than they do with their family uh, and friends. Um, so hopefully you've done the work to have, to gain their trust. Uh, you've done the work that, so that they see you as a leader and therefore a reliable source of, of information. Um, you know, and you're in the trenches with them, you know what I mean? So when, you know, Mayor Adams, my, my mayor in New York City, uh, when he does something messed up and when Wall Street does something messed up, you know, that affects our job. I can, like, I have a basis for talking about that with them. I'm a fellow educator. I'm a coworker, So I can kind of talk about, you know, this is what the government is thinking and the city is thinking. And like, this is how it's situated into like capitalism, you know, like no, 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 no one can substitute for you, you know, so, so do it. Um, okay. Also, if you're in a union, like, you know, the union bureaucracy, right, in this country and worldwide, like, they are, you know, they see themselves, so I'm not even, like, pointing, you know, uh, trying to disparage them, like, they see themselves as co-managers, right? Um, they, they, their, their starting point is that, like, we can get something fair out of capitalism, but there's no such thing as a fair wage, there's no such thing as a fair contract under capitalism, there's no, there's no fairness when we're being exploited, when the value of, of the, of the things that we produce um, don't match, right, the, the, the value that, that we, that we get at the end of the day, um, you know, so the union bureaucracy is going to, say that to your coworkers, you know? So you gotta be there, again, in a strategic way, right? To push back against that and to point out, you know, well, the limits of, of unions and of contracts, you know? Of course, as socialists, like, we have to, I think, be in unions. Uh, I'm, I'm in a union, I'm in the leadership of my union. Um, so it's not to, you know, say, you know, whatever. It's to, it's to just say, like, there's a actual, there's a, 
there's a limit um, on uh, placed by capitalism on what unions um, can do. You know, unions not going to train. Who's in the union here? Who uh, whose leadership? You know, has trainings on anti-capitalism and Marxism and alternative systems? No, no, that's not a thing, right? So unions are not are not going to. Union leaderships are not going to do that. Um, you know, the union bureaucracy is so entrenched. They make their livelihood from uh, from dues revenue. Um, you know, so they prioritize in negotiations, they prioritize, you know, trying to increase salaries rather than like improving working conditions. Um, they maintain their authority by repressing dissent and democracy, um, you know, and rely on having good relations with the employer. They block attempts to, uh, that may jeopardize their relationship with the boss, um, which means, you know, uh, having closed negotiations, which is what my union is doing. I don't even know what they're negotiating right now because it's closed. Uh, it's secret. They had to sign a non-disclosure agreement act if you wanted to be on the negotiating committee. It's messed up. Um, you know, definitely discouraging strikes. Um, it's stri Strikes are risky. They're costly. Um, if you're in the union bureaucracy, you know, maybe you don't want to pursue a strike. Um, you probably don't. So anyway, um, you know, we got to be there to kind of always point out those those limits, right? Um, and it's not always going to be like, you know, you talking about Marxism per se, but it's going to be you, you know, analyzing current events through that Marxist, through that yeah. socialist, you know, lens, right? That That's how you apply Marxism, apply those ideas. It's not just giving spiels on, as important as they are, you know, on Marxist theory. Um, you know, you, you're applying it, you know, in, in real time. Um, and that's what it means to be a, a you know, a socialist activist in the, in the workplace. Um, I'm running out of time. Uh, some questions that you may have that maybe I can't answer right now, but maybe in discussion, like, won't you alienate people if you talk about socialism? It's like, yeah, I mean, you might piss off a coworker or two. You know, I certainly have. Uh, if I brought up Palestine, um, you know, during the Black Rebellion two years ago, I, I sent a chat, you know, sent through my WhatsApp group chat of coworkers. Um, hey, like these truck drivers are like going on strike for a day, you know, in protest of police killings. And one of my coworkers is like, why would you do this? You know, it's a Trump person. You know what I mean? But like, you know, you got to do it. <laughs> like you're, um, you're, you're the one who's there, you know, like I, like I said. Um, and in fact, the majority of your coworkers probably like will at best like not really care. They won't actively oppose you if you've been the one doing the work. If you've been doing the work and you've earned their trust and they see you as a reliable leader, if you've gone to bat, you know, against the boss and have mobilized your coworkers, if you have that history with them, then, you know, at best they'll be like, oh, okay, those ideas don't really, man, I disagree, you know, or whatever. But they won't write you off. I mean, like, you've proven, you know, you've made your bones, you know. So to be a good socialist, you've got to be a good labor organizer. you got to be a, a good union activist. Um, Okay, um, I think that's probably all the time that I have, but um, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, to this to discussion and to hearing my my co-panelists speak. Thanks again, um, and I hope you guys have a lovely next few minutes. All right, bye. <laughs>
Um, especially in the Midwest, uh, bratwurst, bratwurst country, that makes me an essential worker. Um, <laughs> uh, to start, it, I think I'd like to go back to the beginning of my career as a socialist worker. Coming out of college, I had read Jane McAlevey's Raising Expectations and Max Elbaum's uh, Revolution in the Air, and I'd been watching the West Virginia teacher strikes and just had this you know, like immediate idea of this is where I need to be. Um, the first job I actually tried to do was work at the post office, and I lasted literally two days before having a panic attack and failing the driving test. And that's where I learned my first big lesson. Politics won't get you through the job. you got to actually want to do it a little bit. Shocking, right? Um, luckily, a second opportunity presented itself soon, which was to assault at a local college cafeteria in my small college town. I was in this kind of small little cadre circle in the town, and initially it was a few of us in there with the help of the Union Unite here. I didn't know much about how this would go, but I definitely had some ideas about, you know, uh, heroically explaining socialism to the, the country folk. Um, I really came to love my job, which was as a surfer, uh, at the server, the students thought I was cool because I was their age. Um, I always loved being around food, and from being a preacher's kid, I've always been great at talking to older Midwestern moms, who are all the other servers. And I found that after time, I really came to care about these people. Um, but I had no idea where to go. My friends had mostly quit. The union organizer wasn't super great at staying in touch. And basically told me to have conversations with people and gauge if they're interested in organizing. But I was also deathly afraid of being found out as a salt or as a commie, and I didn't really know what to do in the first place. Um, the only time people would really talk about politics or working conditions would be if something like really crazy would happen in the workplace, or if the students did anything crazy political. And of course, I also saw like all of the messed up things about the American workplace, right? Incredibly segregated, um, the worst jobs going to people, the farthest down the town's racial hierarchy. Here, that was um, Mexican immigrants, pretty much all from the same small town in Veracruz, and many of them undocumented, all worked in the, in the um, they were all dishwashers together. Some of the older white workers I worked with had feelings of solidarity with them, which is nice. Others thought they were somehow making the job worse for reasons I never really understood, but for which they assured me wasn't racism. Um, it was owned by a massive company that sent down mysterious edicts to its managers, which would make them panic, who then put all of that on us with these crazy demeaning speeches about how we were a family, and families didn't let each other down, like some of us just did. Uh, so what did I learn from all that, right? Most crucial for me was that after four years of being at a liberal arts college, uh, I relearned how to talk to normal people. But I ran up against a wall because I didn't know how to talk politics. There's nothing in the workplace that was spurring people to action on their own, right? And I think I, relatedly, I didn't really have any mentors around to talk to and learn about this stuff. So I eventually left and moved up to Minneapolis where two things happened. First of all, the pandemic hit and I got an unemployment. And then there's the uprising where, I'm going to say again, a bunch of teens from one neighborhood in Minneapolis ignited a global uprising, the likes of which are extremely rare, right? And I think people should really understand that I'm not the only one who had these experiences, right? Like, this was felt and being felt and still is still felt by working class people all over the country. And one thing that I don't think has been forgotten has been the approach of most unions, which was nothing. In fact, there's a CWA, Communication Workers Union Hall, just a mile away from the third precinct, the one that burned down, and it, um, that union hall boarded up its windows and got the hell out of Dodge when stuff got tough. And I think you can continue that on to the Dobbs decision recently, right, where some unions couldn't even bring themselves to mention the word abortion in their public statements, right? And I think you can also contrast that with um, rank and file actions, like the heroic bus driver going to Adam Birch, who is, yes, by the way, an unabashed Trotskyist, uh, who gave so much strength to the uprising by launching a campaign that was taken up by the union to refuse to transport cops or arrested protesters. 
But to get back to this journey I'm supposed to be taking you on, um, I decided to take a union job for my next adventure because I wanted to be open about myself and who I was, and I figured it would be easier than if I was salting. Um, so I got a job at a unionized co-op grocery store. Uh, but I have to say, working at the height of the pandemic was really tough. We got screamed at pretty much daily by anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers. Um, I was always worried about getting COVID, and no one was really like going out after work, right? So it made it really hard to make friends. You also you know, didn't see each other's faces. Um, things shifted when the vaccine started to come out, and personally, my work situation got a lot better because I switched jobs working on production and customer facing at a different co-op. But I was also think that getting that initial like pre-vax, wait off our vax, kind of shifted the dynamics as workers. So I guess that at this time I wasn't doing a lot of activism in the workplace, but I was always going out to picket lines wherever I could and talking to and learning from the workers there. I read more in better books. Um, and I joined Tempest, this organization, because I really wanted to have some good mentors and people to talk to about this stuff in a revolutionary fashion, which I think is another lesson, right? In spring of 2021, when the Chauvin trial and the Dante Wright uprising shook open the streets again, we also wanted to be ready, and that's we as in the radical workers um, in Minneapolis. So when it was reported that the National Guard was using the St. Paul Labor Hall as a staging ground, around 20 of us, say class struggle unionists um, in the cities, we all came down and kicked them out. Um, I'm still not sure quite how we kicked them out, but we did, and the backlash was really crazy. Um, after being the Twin Cities for less than a year, I had been officially condemned by the state senate, and um, a comrade, um, Cliff, was kicked off of the executive board of the Minnesota Nurses Association for it. But I think it was the right thing to do, and uh, people on the streets thought it was pretty cool. And we're ready to take the next step. Um, this is one of my favorite anecdotes. A comrade of mine, who's a local CWA president, sent an email out uh, proposing a meeting with other like lefty union leaders for future planning um, in case Chauvin got off. And you know, I, I see a lot of people on Twitter make fun of this, but that was. By the way, that was you know future planning. That was a general strike planning meeting, right? Was the idea, and I think the general strike has to have a planning meeting, and I think it has to be socialists in the workplace who plan that planning meeting, right? All right. So now I've been at my current job for a year, and um, I'm talking to workers kind of all over the country, and I can reiterate. I think we can all say things have changed since 2020, right? The pandemic, the uprising, January 6, Dobbs, inflation—it's all in us right now, right? Right here. People know about Starbucks, Amazon, uh, in Minneapolis Federation teachers, and now um, 12,000 nurses on the 12th of September are going to strike all throughout Minnesota, right? So people are ready to fight and are hearing about this stuff. And I think that's where um, socialists can come in because unfortunately things aren't as spontaneous as we would like. Um, and as my friend who told me about the factory, she knew where the workers um, were 100% milita militantly opposed uh, to wearing masks. Um, says militancy can go both ways, right? So while I think grocery stores are in general full of geniuses, um, and there's a lot of people who are politically in the right place, especially in a food co-op in South Minneapolis, um, in terms of making a sustainable workplace organization, we're really starting from scratch, right? So I'm a steward now, and we started to be able to bring a decent number of workers out to things like picnics and going out to the bar and stuff. And we've started to figure out some of the issues of the workplace, and we'll hopefully be ready to go as far as we can for a good contract, which I suspect, which comes up next year, and which I suspect may involve fighting uh, UFCW as well as the company. Um, that's just a hunch, but my coworkers think the same. Um, but I think I want to talk just a little bit about the day-to-day, -day, uh, because I think there's been two stuff, there's two tough stories I want to end on because I don't think these are solvable by a contract, per se. Um, one of them has been my coworker. Uh, she got a concussion in a workplace accident, uh, basically the top of the meat grinder 
fell on her head. Uh, serious stuff, right? She's and it's a she's in her thirties, so a concussion in your thirties is really serious. Um, she's been fired from jobs before, as a matter of fact, because of medical issues. Um, and actually, workers' comp came through this time, but they've been really trying to nickel and dime her and sending her to medical investigation hearings and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, but this time, unlike previously, she has coworkers who listen to her and believe her, not just me, but, you know, kind of, we have this whole energy in our workplace, and who agree with her on how messed up and profit-driven the health industry is. And I think this actual environment, you know, aside from any, like, part of the contract, but this actual environment we've created has helped her to have the confidence to fight back really well and do a really good job advocating for herself against uh, the workers' comp insurance company. But that's been, you know, really tough at times to, you know, for all of us to, as she kind of go through it, but it's also been really wonderful to see. Uh, but there's one last thing that is really tough, and it comes up all the time, which is my other coworker who routinely says some really racist stuff about the Somali community in the Twin Cities, which is very big. And I'm not, he's not just like saying stuff absentmindedly, but he's trying to convince me. So he recently spent an hour trying to convince me of that, of his racism, basically. And I don't think I'm going to change his mind, unfortunately, but I think I'm going to challenge, I have to challenge him on this, like every day, right? Um, and, you know, I, so just thinking about that recently, um, uh, one of my comrades in Tempest, Ron Lair, who spent a while in um, Local 600 in Detroit in the, in the auto industry, he told me that for him, after a few years, being an open socialist and the economic issues was really the easy part for him. But being an open anti-racist and being an open uh, feminist among the white workers at his factory, that was a real challenge, right? Um, and I, and I, I think that's true, but I don't think we'll get anywhere if we let that stuff slide. So I want to end there. But thanks. Make this a little complicated for myself up here. So, um, thank you to Ronnie and Paul, and um, as Andy said, I'm Elizabeth. Um, I'm a nurse here in Chicago. I've been a nurse, a unionized nurse, for about uh, a dozen years. So, um, and, and I'll, I'm just going to go through some of my thoughts, just like Ronnie and, and Paul did. And it, it, it has been instructive for me to kind of figure out how to take. I, I was a trained socialist for several decades before going into my workplace. Not several decades, like a, a decade and a half. Um, to um, I haven't been a socialist quite that long, um, but uh, it, it's instructive in the sense of trying to figure out how to kind of take ideas and put them and apply them in reality because, um, you know, labor work is different from social movement work, which I had been very involved with. I was a student activist. Um, I did a lot around the abortion rights work um, in, the, in the 90s and 2000, but, um, you know, obviously a, a social movement has a different rhythm to it. Um, it's often explosive. It raises key political questions in immediate ways. It has lots of ups and downs. I think the BLM movement in 2020, you can just see that in a timeline, right? From when George Floyd was murdered to when it seemed to sort of be fading, that was somewhere in the mid, in the fall, right? But um, working as a socialist in your workplace, whether it's unionized or otherwise, and obviously there are more barriers if you're ununionized, I think, because, uh, although not always, I should say, um, has typically moved at a slower pace until very recently. 
And it's important to not underestimate the workplace once it starts to move. And I think that's why I laid out the thing about social movements, right? Because you can sort of go, well, it's been really quiet, but it started to pick up. And that's obvious, right? Um, to any of us here, um, in the last couple of years since the pandemic, and that's been the catalyst, um, but most notably with the recent high-profile unionizing, union organizing drives at Starbucks and Amazon. And this has gone across all sorts of industries and retail. It's really inspiring. And so this in and of itself, I'm sorry, so right now the stakes, I think, are increasing. Um, and in some might even say high. So that's why I think a talk like this or a panel and the discussions, so I'm really interested to hear what you all have to say, I think is really very important. Um, so engaging and organizing at the point of production um, for us as socialists is critical to learn how to work within the labor movement since we believe workers are the key agent of change, right? We want a different world, we're the majority, how do we get there, right? But being a socialist in a workplace is also more complicated than simply getting a union job in a workplace. Some people say that, who are socialists, right? This in and of itself is not enough, it's just a beginning. I, I learned that, I'm sure all of us here have. Um, and I believe that the essential question is, for me, what politics will you bring into your workplace and how? And it's a real challenge, I think, because um, it, it, you're both trying to, like Paul was saying, you got to learn your job. And there's been, on the other side, within the socialist movement and the labor movement, been a, a, a historical disconnect between socialists and the working class in this country, quite purposely done, McCarthyism. And, in smaller, and there's smaller numbers of us to try to figure this out. And sometimes we're really disparate, and not connected together to talk and assess how to do this. And it's not like one size fits all. There's a lot of layers to this. So, so I've been, like I said, a socialist uh, for several decades before becoming a unionized nurse. And I went into my job. Um, I'm with National Nurses United. I work at the public sector hospital here. Um, I went in with the intention of learning as much as I possibly could. I had been involved in labor organizing before taking my job. But to be honest with you, the vernacular and learning how to be a steward, I became a steward, um, and I was on several bargaining teams. I've done everything you could in the union, basically. Not partly because I got pushed that way, right? There's a big hole, there's a gap in the labor movement. So if you, as someone once said to me, if you have a pulse, they'll put you into being a steward, right? But it's also about understanding, you know, you have to, and you could do a million things, but it's, it's also about how, for me, I learned how to apply my political framework of the world to my workplace and to my union. So for me, I'll go a little bit into what that political framework is, and it starts from the premise that um, uh, the self-emancipation must be the act of the working class itself. Karl Marx and Frederick Engels wrote that in 1848 in the Communist Manifesto. In a nutshell, for me, this means only we can free us, right? Not any benevolent boss or well-intentioned politician, but us. And I think we've, we've learned that through the pandemic, right? It's, we're here to save us. Um, and this is what I would call socialism from below. It's actually a, a, a very difficult thing to do, too. But I still, after some decades, believe it as strongly today as when I joined the socialist organization when I came out of college. Um, and there are a couple of ideas which I think flow from this for me. Co-workers aren't empty vessels. I think, you know, both Ronnie and, and Paul talked to that. They're influenced by the politics of the world around them, just as we are, right? I think sometimes people feel like, you know, 
I, I, I don't know. Like people don't talk like what well, Ryan saying. Don't talk politics because it'll scare. Don't talk socialism. It'll scare people. It doesn't. And you're at work for eight, twelve. I work twelve-hour shifts sometimes, fourteen. You know, long shifts. That you're there, you spend a good deal of your life with people, and you get to know them, and you get to know their personal lives. But you also talk about the world because there's not like a, a wall that goes down uh, up between when you walk in your workplace and the rest of the world. And so throughout this time, um, I found myself, you know, sometimes arguing against the dominant ideas that are out in the capitalist world, like. Oh, let's just do individual solutions. I spent months with one coworker who actually has become a really great um, militant activist about why individual solutions don't work. She's like, let's just sue the hospital. I'm just like, are you kidding me? I was like, no, let's try to do a petition and get more people on board, and you know. And I kept my mantra for, you know, this is quite a bit before I started um, at the hospital, before Trump, right? I think Trump, I'll get to that in a bit, um, really helped to polarize things. But I just kept saying, the boss is the problem. The boss is the problem. I'd sit there and I'd be like, see the see her office? We have you know, unit managers who are former nurses. She's the problem. <laughs> but by no means did that always, like I said, I mean, months. Like, we're going to sue the hospital? I'm like, first and forget it. I was just like, that's not going to work. I wasn't dismissive. I was patient. That's also another thing you have to really have as a socialist, is patience to understand that people are grasping for a solution, but they don't always, they just don't know. It's like they're taking the, the things that they see before them and using them um, to try to fight. Um, and so let me go here. Uh, and, you know, but for sometimes, like when the boss, you know, you probably all heard the expression, right, the boss is the best organizer. They are. <laughs> and they know it. And they're just kind of waiting. Like, they'll do, they'll be like, okay, well, we're going to change your shift. You're going to not be a day nurse. You're going to work at night. That's like, that's hell, right? You have to, I mean, it's, or whatever. I'm sure you all have examples of that. But it's because, um, and that makes it really concrete. So when I kept going, the boss is the problem, the boss is the problem, and they start going after people either individually or collectively, like, hey, we're going to all change all of your schedules. You know, that kind of stuff, I think, um, helps to, as socialists, it helped me to be able to make the argument that capital, you know, capital, you go, capitalism compels workers to fight, and we have to do it together. Another uh, idea for me is understanding that people's consciousness is often mixed. Like I said, that's where the patience comes in. This means people can simultaneously hold contradictory ideas in their heads at the same time. That so does capital. It reflects capitalism. That's why it's so fucking confusing sometimes. Sorry. And you go, why is the world like this? You know, a really good example is, you know, we were. I'm a nurse. I was a essential worker. Lots of clapping, hands banging. You're the hot heroes, and they were laying us off at the same time. How does that happen? Right? Why does that happen? And as socialist, I found that I had to explain that. And people are like, what? You know, and partly people go, okay. Um, and so, you know, so those ideas exist in people's heads. But really, like, there's also another uh, quote, I guess I'm going to use that. Being determines consciousness, not consciousness determines being. So the more that people are pressed, the more that the boss pushes on you, the more they exploit us, the more that people's ideas can actually change. Sometimes they move to the right. Thankfully, they also move to the left. Okay, and consciousness is never static. And I think the other thing is that another critical idea for being a socialist at work is understanding that workers' self-activity is the key, right? So what Ronnie raised about the bureaucracy of unions, 
Um, I think it, it has that level, obviously, that actually unions, and as socialists we understand, unions are about negotiating the terms of exploitation at the very basic level. But they're also contradictory institutions that when workers start to self-organize, you can push them to the left, right? And there are historical examples of that. I can't get into all of it, but um, if we want to talk about some of that in discussion. It's also about giving people confidence against the boss, right? So um, when people try to figure out how to organize, they go, hey, I can actually take on my employer. Um, you can't always do that in unorganized workplaces, but hell, look at Starbucks workers right now. Look at Amazon. That's, people have had enough, and so there's sometimes that's a juncture in history where you go, this is a good thing, right? People are just taking it on, um, and so it goes beyond, I guess what I'm saying a lot is some socialists talk about all these organizing models, like if you have the right model, like you have open bargaining, you identify leaders, structure tests. Jane McAlevey writes a lot about this in her books, and those are decent things to actually read. They're good and important, but no one teaches us how to fight our boss, you know, because nobody tries, uh, teaches us how to fight our bosses. So figuring it out together is really important, but we can't stop there. It's also about talking about why going, about talking with people about politics while going through this organizing. And it's necessary to push certain political conclusions. For example, during the pandemic, and certainly uh, we struck last year, um, for the first time in 40 years, we're a public sector hospital, it's kind of difficult legally to do that. Um, but, you know, we went out on strike, one of my unit managers, my unit manager, literally the day before the strike, sent texts out to my coworkers, not me, to all of them, to intimidate them to say, you have to come into work. Luckily, we had built enough and we had talked enough, right, about things and why the strike was important for everybody to collectively show up, that people contacted me and they were like, should we go in or not? And I said, no. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And, you know, my unit manager ended up having to work the unit that day with 26 patients, 13 on one side, 13 on the other. And then you start to go, hey, guess what? They can't do this without us. That's about a, a conclusion about, as socialists, we make this place work. And, and then you think about all the people in the pandemic. So it's about understanding that sort of stuff. Um, I'll go quick, sorry, I'm delaying here. Um, and I think the stuff about also as socialists is really important to argue for unity, right? And that's not easy, like what Paul was talking about. You have a racist coworker. I have a lot. I work with a lot of um, women, uh, BIPOC, Black and Brown women, because that's what's in public sector health. But often there are divisions between groups, racial groups, and that's like here I'm like the white woman, and you, literally it can be very challenging to go. No, not all the Africans are like this, right? It's like there's a lot of, there's stereotyping, and that's capitalism. It, it creates racism amongst groups. Um, and so it, it's important to try to take those things on. Um, and so, you know, I'll go quickly through this. I think the things, like what Paul and, and Ronnie really laid out are concretely their experiences. So it's important not to just talk in abstractions. But I think, you know, what I saw before COVID, when Trump came to office, was that politics was coming more and more into the workplace. Mm -hmm. Like when the Muslim ban went down, you know, a lot of the doctors come from other countries. In fact, a third of our doctors come from other countries. They're like, am I going to be able to work? It raised a whole level of discussion. 
But since COVID, it's created, which has created a social crisis for the capitalist system, it's blown open the doors to talk more about questions about capitalism, like why don't we have PPE? We had it last week. Big question, right? Why were healthcare workers laid off, like I said? What is a strike? What does it mean to withhold your labor power? We were talking in terms like that. My union does that, but it's also about solidifying and concretizing that. And one of the other questions I've been getting is, uh, you know, why are things become worse since we struck? And those are real questions. Why isn't Biden doing anything different? All he's doing is this vaccine stuff and about everything else. So I think that those things are really important. And right now, I just want to go to, you know, we did a lot of work too around Black Lives Matter in my union. And so that became a real opportunity to talk. We pushed for a number of us, and I was included in that, to say we have to have open discussions. We have to mobilize out in the streets. So that's also about taking people from their workplace out into social movements, participate in it. But also we had discussions amongst coworkers, which were not easy, about why we need to defund the police. And people had a lot of... Some of my coworkers and nurses and the police often work together, especially in emergency rooms. It was, but it was an essential discussion to have, and I think there's going to be more opportunities to do that. So, I'll wrap up with this: is just to say, sorry, Andy, um, that right now workers are realizing there's something systematically wrong. Not, not, I'm not saying in a homogenous way, but clearly there's something systematically wrong with the economic system we live under. All these strikes, all that whole idea that people realize bosses have made a ton of money. Profits during the middle of a pandemic, while well, they call this essential workers, killed them. Literally, we got, people got COVID, got sick, they didn't care. You know, I think that's also connected to why people, you've got this high, did people catch this maybe last week? 71% of people are in general from unions. That's the highest since 1965. That's 50 years plus. So it's crucial for socialists at work to try to give some explanation for all the issues the world is raising, from inflation to the coming recession, climate crisis, the tight labor market, intensification of work, overturning of road, the never-ending pandemic, which manifests itself day to day in our workplaces, right? Um, and this comes from having a political vision of the world where workers are certainly open to this type of explanation, right? And so we're also trying to reconnect socialist ideas back into the labor movement. We lost that. But, you know, it is absolutely important for us to do that. It's not going to be done by good union leaders or staffers. I believe as a socialist, it has, like in the 30s, the CIO, the Congress of Industrial Organizations, was built like by networks of people like us who were socialists with not only good organizing skills, but politics and a political vision to change that world. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.